0: This is my favorite magic trick with my mom's favorite glasses. This is my favorite cake. These are my favorite tonsils. This is my favorite fish, Fluffy. This is my favorite spider tickles the tarantula. Wake up, Fluffy. Where's my spider? You can have some when I'm done. This is my grandpa's favorite keychain. Blink if you can hear me. Please wake up. Today I bought my favorite new car. This is my favorite ant farm. This is my favorite puppet, collie. This is my favorite hat. sombrero. What? Kiss Anita. This is my favorite wrestling move, Sleeper hen. Me pray. I want chocolate. <laughs> Body slam. Look at these guns. This is my favorite toy, my baby brother. I ate it. Well, let me say welcome again to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, whatever space you're worshiping in today, whatever venue, we're delighted to have you, especially if you're a guest with us today. Uh, delighted to have you as a, as a first-time guest. Hope you have felt a warm sense of welcome already. And if if we can serve or bless you in any way, we'd love to love to do that uh, following our service. We're in this series called Favorites, and as you can tell, we're talking about some of our favorite things. Uh, something that we love to do from a very early age. In fact, last week, right after one of our services... Uh, One of the the young boys in our church gave me this piece of paper. Uh, He had been listening to the sermon, and he wanted to share with me his favorites, and I want to share them with you. So this is a list of his top 11 favorites. He, He had to have 11. They couldn't narrow it down to 10. Number one is Legos. Legos is the favorite thing. Number two is 3DS. Number three is Wii. If you're not, like, up on the lingo, those are two video game systems, just so you know. Number four is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Scripture was in the top five. Let's give him a hand. How about that? That's awesome. Yeah. Number five, there's some parents who are going to be jealous of this. You're going to wish that this was your kid, but it's not your kid. Number five is organizing things. Oh, wow. Wow. Number six is baseball stuff. Number seven is building stuff and fixing stuff. Potential future engineer on our hands. Number eight, writing notes for people. Number nine, making new friends. Number 10, I really like playing uh, with other people. Number 11, I like to learn about God at church. So that's a list of favorite things from one of our young people. You can clap for him, that's really good. So again, from an early age, this is something that we love to do. We like to talk about our favorite things, and what we're talking about in this series, uh, what I'm sharing with you are some of my favorite scriptures, and, I, and I've shared it in weeks leading up to this, that when I talk about favorite scriptures, what I'm sharing with you are, are scriptures that for me have been the most meaningful and transformational in my own life, my own journey as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and in my work as a pastor, in sharing the scriptures with people, and that's what we've been doing for three weeks. And we're going to do it in a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about a different category of scriptures today. I'm actually going to give you several scriptures uh, that I think really interact with our life in a, in a little bit different way. And to to illustrate that, I want to talk about how we've been talking about the first three weeks and the first three series uh, that I've shared with you. So again, favorite thing of my young friend was Legos. So let's just talk about Legos for a moment. If you go to the store to buy some Legos. Here's what you're going to find. If you haven't done this recently, you're going to you're going to walk down an aisle that is going to have boxes on either side and on the outside of each of those boxes that represent the Lego set inside, you're going to see a picture of what the pieces inside that box can potentially become. Okay? You're going to see this this nice picture of what that looks like. But if you open up that box or if you shake that box, it's very clear that what's inside is not exactly what's on the outside of the box, at least not in its final form. It's only the pieces that can eventually become this nice picture that you find on the outside of the box. You're going to find pieces. They're going to be in plastic bags. They're going to be numbered so you know which bag to open at which time, so they're not just everywhere. But there's something else you're going to find inside that box that is critical, I mean, you have to have it. It's for most of us our only hope in taking the pieces that are inside the box and making them look like the picture on the outside of the box, and that's the instructions that walk you through how you take piece by piece and build and construct the thing that you see on the outside of the box. And that's one way of thinking about how Scripture works in our life. What Scripture does is it gives us the instructions of how we take the pieces of our life and we form them in such a way that they look like the picture that's on the outside of the box. And what is that for us? The picture is Jesus. Jesus is what's on the outside of the box. That's what our life is supposed to look like. That's what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And just like most of us would be lost without that instruction book in putting together that Lego set, most of us would be lost without the scriptures as well. Because what the scriptures do is they form us and they shape us and they help us understand how do we take these various pieces of our life and construct them in such a way that it looks like the picture that God wants it to look like. So that's really what we have been looking at in the first three weeks. I've shared with you scriptures that the expression of them in our life is really about forming us and shaping us. It does the work of formation for us. But we're going to talk about scripture in a little bit different way today. We're going to talk about how the scriptures serve as a foundation for us when we feel like all the pieces of our life are falling apart. We've done all the work of forming and shaping them in, in a particular way to look in, in, a, in a way that we think is appropriate, but there are moments in our life, there are seasons in our life where we feel like, we feel like the pieces are falling apart. We're walking through something that we never expected to walk through. We, we, we go through an experience that, that wasn't on our radar. We have, a, we have a loss or a grief in our life, and, and we find ourselves coming to the Scriptures in a little bit different way in those seasons of our life. They mean something different from us. It's, it's more than just the work that forms us, a, a formation for us. It's a foundation on which we hold to in those seasons of life, let me let me let me tell you how Jesus says it at the end of Matthew uh, Matthew chapter seven. So Matthew five six and seven is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most extensive teachings that Jesus has in in all of the Gospels. At the end of that teaching, this is what Jesus says. He says, "Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine." And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I want you to think about this, that there are very few things in life that we can count on. I mean, there are very few things in life that we can just say with absolute certainty, I can depend on that, I can expect that that's going to be a part of my life. One of the few things that we can count on, I don't want to depress you right off the top, but let's just be honest with ourselves. One of the few things that we can count on is that it's going to rain. It's going to rain. There's going to be things that happen in our life that are hard. All of us, all of us at some point in our life, many of us have already had this experience and will have it again. All of us will lose people that we love. We'll experience grief, and heartache, we, we, we may go through things that we never expected to have to face in our life, a job loss, the end of a marriage, a, a child that we're worried about, all sorts of things that we go through in life. We can expect that those things are going to happen. They are a part of, of, of our human experience. And what I want to suggest to you is when you're in a season like that, and you may be there today, the scriptures mean something very different for us in that season. They're more, they're, they're more than just words that help us form a life that looks like the picture on the outside of the box, that looks like Jesus, they're they're the things that we hold on to In, in those moments when everything else feels like it's falling apart and we don't know where to turn. And let me just give you one example of that. Don't stop me if you've heard this before. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever now you hear in psalm 23 some some teachings that help form a proper understanding of who God is the Lord is shepherd. He, he guides us. He leads us. He cares for us. That helps us understand who God is. But, but yet you know that these words are familiar to us, not because of their, the way that they form us, but because of the foundation they provide for us when everything else feels like it's falling apart. Every graveside I have stood by as a pastor, I've read these words. Because these are the words that we turn to when when we need something to hold on to. We need a foundation for our life. And one of the things that we can say with absolute certainty is that all of us will walk through experiences in our life where we need that foundation. And when we allow the scriptures to form us and shape us, to do that work in us, what, what we're doing is we're allowing the scriptures to also, in those seasons when we need it, be a foundation for us. So this is what I want to do today. I want to share with you some scriptures that are in that category uh, for me uh, of the scriptures and how they work in our life. And I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I expect that there are people who are going to be here this weekend who are in that season right now. You're at a place where you may feel like the pieces that you have put together are falling apart for all sorts of different reasons. And so these words that I want to share with you, I hope will be words of hope words of grace, words that you can count on, that you can begin to hold on to, the foundation on which you can start the work of reconstructing your life wherever you are right now. For some, I hope that's what it is today. But for everyone who's here today, whether you're in that season or not, I hope that these words will be the words that you know you can count on when you find yourself in that place. So here's what I want everyone to do today. I want everyone to write down some scriptures And if you didn't bring your Bible today and you have a Bible at home, I want you to go home and I want you to find these scriptures and I want you to mark them in your Bible so that when you find yourself at this place, the place that we can all expect at some point to be in in our life, you will know where to turn to or you will have the insight for someone else who may walk, be walking through a season, an experience that is very difficult, where they're looking for some foundation, something that they can begin to rebuild their life. So we already mentioned Psalm 23. That's what I read to you if you don't know the address of that. You may not know it. You probably heard the words, but it's Psalm 23. You can find it about dead center in the Bible. Psalm 23 is the first scripture that we looked at. The second one that I want to take you to is John chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16. Now, obviously, I'm not going to read to you John 14, 15, and 16. That would take quite a while. I'm not going to read you the whole text, but I am going to tell you what you will find there if you, if you go to John 14, 15, and 16. What you will find is John's account of the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. So in just a few hours, following what you find there in John 14, 15, and 16, just a few hours later, Jesus is going to be arrested, and just a few de- in a few uh, days, Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be gone. Now, because Jesus understood what was coming next in his own story, Jesus had the opportunity to provide his disciples with an incredible gift. He gave them the words that they were going to need in the tragic circumstance that they were about to face. Jesus knew that they were about to walk through the most difficult thing they had ever experienced in their entire life. And because he knew that, it gave him the opportunity to share with them the words that they needed to hear. So if you go to John 14, John 15, John 16, what you will find is Jesus sharing a meal with his disciples... A meal in which Jesus knows exactly what's going to come next, and the disciples have no idea, but he is offering words of comfort, words of grace, words of peace that he knows that they're going to need in just a few short hours. It's an important moment in the life of Jesus. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to receive communion together, a remembrance of that last supper that Jesus shared with Him. Jesus shared with his disciples. But, but here's some of what Jesus shares with them in that time. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Peace, Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. John 14, John 15, John 16. If you turn over to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18, Paul begins to speak to the church at Rome, to the Christians there, about suffering, about an experience that he knows uh, the, the, the Christians at Rome are either going through or will go through at some point in their life. And what Paul speaks of in Romans 18 through the end of that chapter is how we as people of faith approach and think about what it means when we go through experiences of suffering. So in Romans 8, 28, very well-known verse, you may have heard this before, Paul says this, we know that in all things, God works for the good, uh, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of every single experience of life, what Paul is saying is that we trust, we believe, it is our conviction that God is always working for the good. In, in circumstances that, that are marked by nothing positive, totally negative things that we go through, positive experiences in our life, what we, what we trust in, what we believe in is that God is always, always working for the good. And then Paul kind of raises the tension around this idea by asking a series of questions. The first question he asks his audience here in Romans 8 is, if God is for us, then who can be against us? In other words, when you're going through that experience where you just feel overwhelmed, you feel like everything in life is just being thrown at you, think about this question. If God is for you, then who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? And then he asks this question later on, what or who can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What is it in your life that is so big, so large, that you might be tempted to believe it would separate you from, from the love of God present in Christ Jesus. And before we can even think about some things, Paul shares a couple of examples, a couple of ideas that may lead us to think we've somehow been separated from God's love. He talks about trouble and hardship and persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, uh, violence, death. He talks about all of these things, things that in our life, don't miss this, things that are not only hard, but things that we might go through that might lead us to believe that God has forgotten about us. That we somehow did something so wrong that God's abandoned us. Well, God just must be so disappointed in me that he doesn't care anymore and that's why I'm walking through the thing that I'm walking through. Paul throws out all of these suggestions of things that we might experience in life that would lead us to doubt God's love for us. And he ends that section by saying this, No. So is there anything that can separate you from God's love? Paul says, no, nothing. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, this is Paul's conviction that he's sharing with them, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love. And in all things, all seasons of life, when you're walking through the dark valley that it talks about in Psalm 23, God is still working for the good. If you flip back over to John 11... John 11, if you read the entire chapter, you're going to find there a story that if you're a regular here, you've heard me share before. I'm going to share a little bit of it again today. The beginning of John 11, we meet Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, three siblings. And what we find out in the very beginning of John 11 is that the brother Lazarus is sick. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus to let him know that Lazarus is sick in hopes that Jesus will come and heal their brother. Jesus does come. To Bethany, a town located just outside Jerusalem, to the, to the home of Mary and Martha, but he arrives too late. In fact, by the time Jesus comes to Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for three days. When word gets to the house of Mary and Martha that, that Jesus is coming, Martha goes out to greet Jesus, but Mary stays behind. She doesn't want to see Jesus. When Martha comes upon Jesus, she says to Jesus, If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Martha says the thing that, that many of us think in seasons of loss and grief. If, if God would have just shown up, if God would have somehow fixed this problem, if God would have somehow healed this person, this would, this would never have, have happened. And this is, what, this is what Jesus says in response to Martha's words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks Martha this question Do you believe this? In other words, in this experience of loss and grief and anger that she's directing at Jesus, what Jesus offers to Martha is the opportunity to reaffirm her faith. He says, wait a second, where's the foundation? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life and that those who believe in me will never die? Do you believe that? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that. Martha goes back home and she, she fetches her sister Mary and says, the teacher has come, you must greet him. And Mary comes out and Mary ends up saying the very same thing that Martha has said to Jesus. She, when she sees Jesus, she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But, but we get a sense from the text that Mary says this to Jesus in a little bit different tone. Perhaps a little more anger. And sadness and grief directed at Jesus. Anger that he hadn't done his job, at least according to how she understood it. Jesus had not come. He had not saved her brother. And so she lashes out at him. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And and part of the reason that we know that, that the way Mary expresses this to Jesus was different than the way that Martha expressed it to Jesus is that Jesus does not ask Mary to do the same thing that he asked of Martha. Jesus does not ask her to reaffirm her faith. He doesn't say, whoa, wait a second, don't you know who you're talking to? Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, this is what happens beginning with verse 33. When Jesus saw her, This is what Jesus does. He doesn't lecture. He he, he doesn't critique. He doesn't judge. He doesn't push back. He simply sees her. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and he asked this question, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, shortest verse in the entire Bible, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. He doesn't judge, he doesn't critique, he doesn't say, Mary, what are, you, what are you saying? Instead, he sees the depth of her emotion and her grief, and he grieves with her. He cries with her. He is simply present with her in that, in that moment of pain. Psalm 23 John 14, 15, 16, Romans 8, John 11. All for me testify to a few simple truths that have guided me in my own time of grief and my own time of loss and have guided me as a pastor as I walk into those hospital rooms, as I prepare for those funerals, as I visit with, the, with those spouses and those kids and those parents, all of those individuals who have lost someone that they have loved, who are hurting, who are in pain, who are grieving, and who are looking for some foundation. So here's a couple of very simple thoughts that for you, if you're there today, may guide you or may be the words that would guide you in an experience that may happen later on in your own story and in your own life. The first is this, whatever you're feeling, it's okay. Whatever you're feeling, it's okay. If you're the one who is there in that hospital waiting room or you're the person who walks in to offer care for someone else, whatever they are feeling, whatever you are feeling, it's okay. If you're angry, If you're mad, sad, whatever emotion is coming out of you, it's okay. Jesus didn't judge Mary. He didn't stop and say, you know, Mary, you really should have more faith right now and just trust that God loves you. He doesn't do any of that. He he simply is there with her in her pain. He recognizes her suffering and her grief, and he is present with her. Whatever you are feeling in that moment, it's okay. Even if what you want to do is the same thing that Mary and Martha did for Jesus, even if you feel this need to lash out at God and say, God, why have you allowed this thing to happen to me in my life? Why did the test results come back like this? Why is this marriage not where I thought it was going to be? Why can't I reach this child? Why didn't you say, why didn't you, what, whatever those questions might be and however you might express that to God, it's Okay. God is big enough to hear those things, to be present with you in those things, and to grieve with you in those circumstances. And people of faith, brothers and sisters, who walk through those experiences with people that we love, we have to be big enough and strong enough to simply be present in those places and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, I'm with you, it's going to be okay. What you're hearing from me right now is what I share with people when I'm there with them, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, we're gonna get through this, we're here we're here, nobody's leaving, no one's abandoning you, we're going to be here, we're going to be here, we're going to walk with you, you're not going to be alone, you're, we're here, we're here, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Whatever you're feeling, it's okay. The second thought is this, and sometimes this, these are words that people may not be ready to hear and when they're in the middle of that experience, but, but the second thing that I think is critical is that God has not caused your suffering. God has not caused your suffering. What Romans 8 says is that in all things, God works for the good. In in circumstances that are wonderful and great, God God is working for the good. And in circumstances that are not as we would want them to be, God still is working for the good. God is seeking to restore and heal and respond. God is always working for the good. What Romans 8 does not say, and it is so important that we don't miss this, Romans 8 does not say that God makes bad things happen so that then he can do good things in our life. It doesn't say that. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for the parents of that five-year-old little girl who died of cancer, I don't believe that God took their daughter away because he needed another angel in heaven. I don't believe that. I don't understand why one person gets cancer and the other person doesn't. But I refuse to believe that God causes that so that God can then work for the good. I think we live in a broken world where tragic things happen all the time. And sometimes the only reason that something happens is because somebody made a very bad decision. Sometimes it's our choice. It's our decision that we make, and we have to bear the consequences of that. But, but sometimes the, decisions that, that, that the consequences that we have to bear are because the decisions are somewhere else. And because God loves us, God has given us the gift of choice. We get to choose every single day what our life is going to be about we're going to live our life for, we're going to pursue with our life. God has given us that gift. God is not some grand puppet master who is simply orchestrating things in such a way that he can do other things. But what Romans 8 says is that God is always, always working for the good. He's always responding with grace and works of healing and compassion and restoration. That's the foundation that we can trust in, in those moments of suffering. Not That, well, I guess I just have to accept it because God made it happen. God has not caused your suffering. God did not end that marriage. God did not give that person cancer. God did not take that person away. We live in a broken and tragic world. All of us can expect to experience seasons of loss, but God hasn't caused those things. What God is doing is responding to them with grace and love. And healing. And the third thought is this that God has not abandoned you in your pain. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. In advance of the most tragic moment that the, the disciples had ever experienced in their life, Jesus says, I'm not going to forget you. I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm, you're not going to be alone. I will not leave you as orphans. There are some dark valleys. Dark valleys that we're all going to pass through, and there are going to be moments in our life where we look around and we, and we think to ourselves, "No one understands this. No one gets this. No one else has been here before. No one else has felt this pain before. No one else knows what I'm, what I'm, what I'm going through." That that's just that's something that we're all going to walk through, but the foundation. The conviction that we hold, that we find in the scriptures, John 14, John 15, John 16, Psalm 23, Romans 8, John 11, and so many more. The conviction that we come back to over and over and over again is that you are not alone. I am not alone. I am not alone. God is here. God is here. God is here. God is here in this person that is just sitting with me and sharing my tears. God is here in this community of faith that has gathered at this at this funeral to, to remember the life of my loved one. God is here in the friends who show up when life just seems to crumble and fall apart. God is here when the church is the church. And, and we seek to be present with, with one another in those, in those seasons of loss and, loss and grief and tragedy that are a part of all of our stories. Now hear me here. What that means is that we all have a part to play in that and fulfilling God's promise that you are not alone. So I want you to remember these words, this this collection of scriptures, Psalm 23, John 14, John 15, John 16, Romans 8, John 11. I want you to remember them because there may be a day when you need them and because there will be a day when someone else needs them. And one of the ways that they will know and experience the presence of God, the love of God, the grace that says, I will not let you go when you are not alone, is because you're going to show up. You're going to walk into that hospital room. You're going to sit at that kitchen table. You're going to be there with that person to simply say, you're not alone. God has not forgotten you. Scripture does incredible work when it comes to forming and shaping us. And when we allow Scripture to do that, it allows Scripture to also be for us a foundation in those seasons of life where we need something that we can build, rebuild our lives on. Let's pray together. Loving God, gracious God, Thank you for your promises. And thank you, Lord, for the care in which you have shared with us these special words, these stories, this picture of who you are and how you seek to be present with us in our life. Thank you, Lord, for not just providing for us a picture and saying you're on on your own, but, but, but offering to us this instruction book that helps us understand how we form and shape our life, but also, Lord, for, for providing this solid foundation. These words that we can turn to in our time of need and also, Lord, direct our brothers and sisters to in, in their time of need. Thank you for being a shepherd. Thank you for being a father. Thank you for being a foundation that we can turn to. And Lord, I I especially want to pray for anyone who is here this weekend who may feel like the pieces of their life are falling apart and may be wondering where to turn. And I simply pray, Lord, that you would surround them with instruments of grace, people who will love them, care for them, nurture them, and direct them back to you as their foundation.